There we are. Well, it's lovely to be here together with you this morning, and lovely to be in Park End uh, Presbyterian Church. So a very warm greeting from all your friends at St. Mark's. It's lovely to have this historic link between the two churches. Many of us will know Rosemary Aldous and this partnership, and we're very much looking forward to taking that into the future together. Commiserations for yesterday. Yesterday was a better day for the Irish than it was for the Welsh, but we'll not say any more about that at this stage. Just being aware that the, the Irish don't get too many good days, so we have to celebrate them as best we can. Now, this last year, it doesn't need me to tell you that it's been very tough for all of us, whether we're younger or older, whether we're married or single, employed or retired. And there's a deep feeling that life has gone profoundly wrong and that life is just slipping away from us and that we're on the sideline. Well, this morning, as we run into those amazing events that change the world forever at Easter time, we're going to look at that little incident just before Palm Sunday and the beautiful way in which Jesus very simply stopped. So we're just focusing on those two words, Jesus stopped. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 29, as Jesus was leaving Jericho, if there's anyone who does not need an introduction, it is surely Jesus of Nazareth, the very center of history, whose birth in Bethlehem stopped the clocks, restarted the calendar, ushered in a whole new era of the world, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. He, without a computer, an Instagram account or Twitter, a publisher, PR agent, any political allies or institutional support, wandering around an area the same size as Wales, managed to cause world empires to rise and fall. Gods that had been feared for centuries became characters in Disney films and Marvel comics. Who is this unique individual who comes to us across the pages of history? Well, of course, those who knew him best, who had spent time with him, concluded that he wasn't just the founder of a new civilization, but that he was the founder of the universe and the master of the galaxies the eternal and everlasting Son of God the Father. And of course, His coming into the world in that new way would change everything forever. Anything less than that would have been a waste of His time and beneath Him. <clears throat> but then Jesus and His disciples in verse 29, don't you love those disciples? And to think that through simple faith in Jesus, we are part of that group as well. His advent or coming into the world meant an adventure for these people that would change their lives forever. And I always love to think about where Jesus called them from. Where did he not go? He could have gone, of course, to Athens to where the cleverest people in the world were at that time, but he didn't. Could have gone to Rome, to the corridors of power, did he? Could have gone to Jerusalem, like the religious center. But where did he go? 
to the least strategic, the most unpromising place possible, a backwater beside the Lake of Galilee, and called these men to follow him. And through them, he changed the world forever. Those men would leave the world a very different place to the world that they had found. So as Jesus and his disciples in verse 29 were leaving Jericho, we know the story of the Bible. We'll know that there's a long back story and history to that place of Jericho. It's come up before. It was destroyed. It was rebuilt. And it was rebuilt in a way of shaking its fist at heaven, saying, what we want to do here is the opposite of the life of God and the life of heaven. We might say that property prices weren't very high in Jericho. It wasn't the most desirable place to live. And in verse 30, two blind men were sitting by the roadside. They weren't even, even inside the city. It was as if people of the city thought they weren't even good enough to be in Jericho. And that was saying something. One of them, one of the other gospel writers tells us, was called Bartimaeus, which means son of unclean. It's like outside the camp, outside the city. The other one, we don't even know his name. But we can perhaps this morning, many of us sympathize with how they felt. Life had gone badly for them. Hadn't worked out the way they would have liked it to. Life was passing them by and they were just on the sideline. All the others with their plans and entertainment and families and careers and status, they couldn't be a part of that. They had to live on the charity of passers-by. There was no NHS for them to be able to draw help from. And they were blind. They'd never seen the sun or the trees or the blue sky. And there were probably those that would have said that it was because of something which they had done, perhaps something which their parents had done. And from that day, they heard that Jesus was going by. Jesus was going by. I'm sure, like so many others, they had heard the rumors and the stories, the whispers. But everyone was talking about that this baby born in an extraordinary and remarkable way, who some years before had burst upon the world as sunrise, who had made the deaf hear, the lame walk, the blind see, and even raised the dead to life. Imagine their feeling that he was somewhere else and they hadn't been able to get near to him. Somewhere, somewhere out there, but they hadn't been able to get close to him. And in that day, they heard he's here. He's not far away. He's passing this way. What did they do? Well, in verse 30, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. They knew he was the Lord of all great David's greater son. And they knew that they had nothing to buy him off or to pay for his services. So they just called out for mercy that he would take pity upon them. Now the crowd in verse 31 rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Because of course the crowd had all kinds of ideas, hobby horses we might say, that they thought were the most important things in all the world. Some of them wanted him to kick out the Romans. Others wanted him to sort out the temple. Others wanted him to tidy up the streets. 
And they imagined that Jesus had nothing better to do than to ride those little hobby horses which they had themselves. Saying, you know, he doesn't have time for you. Be quiet. There's other more, much more important things that he has on his mind. Don't distract him. Don't keep him back. Don't you love what the blind men did next? It would have been so easy for them to have just said, yeah, you know, I think that's actually quite a good point. Um, he has probably got much bigger things on his mind at the moment, and we're only embarrassing ourselves, and it's very unlikely that he's even going to hear our voices among all the noise of the crowd. Let's just give up. But they didn't do that. What did they do in verse 31? They shouted all the louder. They shouted all the louder. They thought to themselves, and isn't it moving? He's probably never going to pass this way again. Let's be honest. He's not going to come this road ever again. This is our last chance. This is our only chance to make contact with him. There's nothing to lose. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or says. And so they called out all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, we must remember, of course, at this point, that Jesus genuinely did have big things on his mind. Heavy weights, right from his birth in Bethlehem when the myrrh was brought by the wise men, pointing to his suffering. We know that it was part of a plan and purposes that are bigger and older, even than the universe itself, that all of history had been moving towards this point, and the horizon was drawing nearer of Calvary, what he would do for you and for me. What do you like if you have something on coming up? I'll speak for myself, I'll not speak for you. I um, quite often, if I'm going to the bank or something and somebody tries to stop me, I'll think, I don't have time to stop for you. I've got a five-pound check to deposit. How dare you stop me as I'm going to deposit my check? And if you watch somebody who's selling the big issue on the side of the street, you'll quite often see people saying, oh, I'm very sorry, I'm so busy. I've got to go on. You know, I don't have time. I need to go on somewhere else. What are we like when we are struggling ourselves? Again, I'll speak for myself, not for you, but I tend to find that when things go wrong in my own life that I collapse down in on myself. So I'll think to myself, I've got a common cold. I couldn't possibly have the energy to look out for anybody else or to help them. I need all the help and energy that I've got myself. Under a fraction of the weight and strain which was upon Jesus, I would probably have walked on Probably have passed by. I don't know what you would have done. What did Jesus do? Isn't it beautiful that amidst all the noise of that crowd, he heard those two voices of those two poor men. He hears all those who call out to him, whether it's just a sigh or a whisper or a groan. He always hears. And in verse 32, what did he do? Jesus stopped. That's so beautiful. He stopped. In other words, all those big cosmic plans to sort out everything that's wrong with the world and renew the whole universe. He put all of that on hold. Said, I'll make the time for these two poor men at the roadside. What did he do? 
Well, he asked them that remarkable question, what do you want me to do for you? He asked, what do you want me to do for you? He didn't say, uh, make it quick. We've got to hurry. I'm in a rush. I've got bigger and better things to be getting on with. No, he said, what can I do for you? Of course, it's that question that normally uh, an employee might ask to the boss. What do you want me to do for you? Or servant, their master. Can you see what he's doing? He was placing himself at their disposal, saying, I'll help you in whatever way you would like me to help you. In other words, as he had said before in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the high and exalted one, the Lord of all, stopped for those two poor men by the roadside. He asked them what that he could do for them. And they said, Lord, we want our sight. We wanted to be able to see. And immediately in verse 34, he had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight. He took pity upon them. He reached out in the way that the doctor does to his patient and he healed them. Those two men for whom life had gone so badly and allowed them to see for the very first time. And what was, or rather, who was the first person that they saw that day? It was, of course, him. It was Jesus himself that they saw for the very first time. And what did they do next? Well, they didn't say, you know, well, thank you very much for that. Um, we had always hoped for careers in Jerusalem, and now we'll be off, and we'll maybe see you again one day. No, they didn't do that. Psalm 116, verse 1, puts it like this. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. What did they do? The end of verse 34, they followed him. They followed him. They went with him. Of course, they wanted to be with him. And just think about it within days, the things that they would have seen with their own eyes. They were there, those events that would change the world forever. And a beautiful way in which Jesus was making eyewitnesses out of blind men to see what he would do for them and for all the world. And so this morning as we draw to a close, that same Jesus who stopped on the roadside for those two poor blind men so long ago is alive today and is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's passing by this church family this morning, and he has all the time in the world for you. This morning, perhaps you're struggling in all kinds of ways. Do you feel him saying to you, inviting you to simply come to him, to tell him to ask for his help, to ask him to draw near to you. That beautiful old hymn, Francis J. Crosby, some of us may know it, puts it beautifully like this. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. 
while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Let's bow our heads.